We need to learn how to move forward. Egypt represents when we're lost. The desert represents we're believers and we're walking toward the destiny and promise that God has fulfilled in our life. But if we're not careful, we could get stuck in the desert and never make it there. And why, why were they stuck in the desert? Because they didn't believe God, their faith. When God said to go, guess what they looked at? Oh, the giant's in the land. We can't go there, but only Caleb and Joshua came back and said, hey, we believe. And guess what? Caleb and Joshua was the only two besides the younger generation that made it there. The others could never let go. The others were still changed. They were free from Egypt, but they never were able to walk in the, the destiny and purpose and fulfill the purpose that God had created them for. Because they were stuck in the desert by hurts, habits, and hangups in their life. Addictions, things like that, all these things. So we have to have a new mindset that the, the time in the desert is where God's going to work on us. And again, the amount of time you spend in the desert is going to be up to you. The original trip was on, should have only took seven to ten days. But then some of them spent over 40 years and died in the desert. So it's up, your desert life is up to you. How much you are willing to work out your salvation, put down these things that are holding you back. It says, <coughs> again, it's at to work out your salvation, uh, all those things that hinder your relationship with God and the sin. So this is what I want you to get a picture of here. Just because you're saved does not mean you still don't have sin in your life. We still all sin. If, if you think you don't sin, then you really don't have a true image of God. And we don't, none of us do, but of God's holiness. See, when it says continue to work out your salvation, it's not that you become more holy and more righteous. Right? If it's God's righteousness, if it's Christ's righteousness that God put on us, how can we make it more righteous? If it's Jesus' holiness that God placed on us, how can we become more holy? No, all he's trying to tell us is live worthy of the calling you have received. The Bible tells, says in the Old Testament that the most righteous of a man is as a filthy rag in the eyes of the Lord. So if I think I got my life all straightened up, what I'm adding? I'm adding filthy rags to his righteousness? You see, there's nothing we can add. It's been done on the cross through Jesus Christ, and it's only because of his righteousness and holiness that has been given to us through salvation that we stand before God. Not anything we do, lest any man boast. You see... Oh, I didn't even sort my notes yet. <laughs> a self-righteous, condemning person. We all know those. That they kind of look down at other Christians. and You know, they kind of levitate above everyone else. In their holiness. They truly have not grasped the whole of God's mercy and grace that has been bestowed on them. 
The only reason I'm right, I feel more righteous and can look down on you is because I think I've done something. Because I live this way. Because I pray this way. Because I do this. But it's not. Let's go back to last week, the prodigal son. We didn't get to the part of the brother that was still in the house. It had two sons. The younger one said, God, give me all, God, give me all my stuff. To the father, he said, give me all my stuff. What happened it was he was no longer concerned about the father's business. He was concerned about self. He wandered off straight away, lost everything, and then he tried to hire himself out. He says, I'm going to fix my life myself. But guess what? It didn't work. He found himself in the pig pen wanting to eat what the pigs wanted to eat. And when he finally came to his senses, it says that he said, I will go back to my father. He says, I've sinned against my father in heaven, and I will return to my father as a hired hand. You see, he realized he had fell and short, and he says, I'm not worthy to be called your son anymore. And he was right. He wasn't worthy to be called his son. But it's only the father that said, when he's seen the son coming back, he takes off running and goes to the son and says, welcome back, my son. It's only the father that bestows your worthiness through Jesus Christ on you. Because we all fall short of the glory of God. So we are all unworthy. As the son was saying, I am unworthy. Yes, we are. But God says that you're unworthy, but I see you through my son, through Jesus Christ. And now you are worthy because of my son, not because of you. Now, big brother is over there. He's been faithful to the father ever since the young one left. The young one comes back and the father restores everything and says, put on the best for this son of mine was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. And the big brother, uh, I've been here all alone. I've been so faithful to you, dad. I've never left. Why are you doing that to him? Why are you doing all that? You see, that son thought he was superior. That son thought, because I didn't do any of that, I'm better than him and worth more. And he should just be a hard hand. He should not be restored as your son. His brother said that. Instead of rejoicing, the one who was in the house at all time, all of a sudden was... You could bring him in as a hard hand, but he's below, beneath me. See, he himself didn't realize the mercy of the Father on our lives. But we have to remember when we come to Christ, we are who he says we are. We are unworthy, but he calls us worthy. Whenever you, be whenever you begin to believe the enemy's lie that you are Worthy? Guess what? That's pride. What God done with pride? Kicked it out of heaven. So let's get to this, <coughs> our notes here. Again, th this all goes along with what I'm talking about today. 
taking the next steps, not getting stuck in that desert. And the life is a journey, okay, a journey. Anybody ever took a long trip, a long drive, and that it was like, you know, where you wanted to go was too far to be there in one day, and you kind of stopped at a hotel, spent a night, then you started driving the next day. Now, I know when we were younger, sometimes you may drive 20, 30 hours without stopping those things, but once you get over 40, and definitely over 50, look, 12 hours is enough, <laughs> right? <laughs> so we don't do that anymore. But how many of you know that as you make that stop, that's not the destination. You may enjoy that time in that hotel. It's a nice thing and all that. But it's not where you want to be. It's not where your destination is. And if you're not careful, you know, uh, you, don't, you wouldn't stay there and say, look, I'm headed to wherever, Disney World somewhere, and it's this long, long trip, and i got to stop in the middle. Oh, well, this Hotel 6 is pretty nice. It's clean here. And you settle there for your week of vacation and never make it to Disney World. You settled for something, and it's, it's okay, but you settled in the desert, and you never made it to the promised land. Not that Disney was the promised land. I wouldn't go there. <laughs> I don't want to pay $7 for a 12-ounce Coke. You know? so, <laughs> but um, this is what we're saying, is moving on, on to there. So let's look in uh, <coughs> Ephesians chapter 16, uh, 3, verses 16 through 21. Paul says, I pray out of his glorious riches. He may strengthen you, us, with power through his spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power together with all the saints to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. He's praying that we could grasp it, but reality is we can't. It's beyond, listen, I can't comprehend everything on a cell phone. Right? There's so many things here on this earth that humans have created that we don't understand. They may understand that part, but we don't understand everything. Right, And we, we can't even understand what somebody else, another person understands, but we think we're going to understand God, the creator of the universe. See, God is so much bigger, and, and the Word's going to tell us here, than we could even imagine. He's it, so much more than us, and if you think you're ever going to get to the point that you know everything, you're not reading your Bible. Because the Bible even tells you, for now we know in part. We just know in part. We prophesy in part. We just know in part. We don't know, know the whole thing. Our pea brains cannot, cannot get all that. And he says this, <coughs> May, uh, to grasp how wide and how deep it, uh, is the love of Christ, verse 19 says, and to know his, uh, this love that surpasses knowledge. It goes beyond knowledge, beyond, it surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the measure of the fullness of God. And then verse 20 says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more. And I love how he didn't just put more. He says immeasurably more, meaning you can't measure it. 
He says immeasurably more than we, we can not only ask, but then he tells you your brain capability, more than you can even imagine. He's able to do more, and not just a little bit more, immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. <clears throat> and it's according to whose power? His power, but where is it at work? Within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, and I love this part, throughout what? All generations forever and ever. This power of God is working inside of you. It wasn't just for the church back then. It's for us believers now, throughout all generations forever and ever. And this is what I want to ask you today. How much faith will it take for us to walk in the fullness of that God is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine? Can I just share with you something? It begins with the next step. That's, a, that's where it starts. Until you take the next little step, you'll never make that. When they stepped out of Egypt, they seen the desert. Boy, that's a long way. And God says, you're never going to make it till you take the first step. It begins with the first step. Every step I take is a step further away from my bondage and a step closer to my promise. Don't get stuck in the middle. So it begins with the next step in our life. <clears throat> Again, God doesn't want us to stay stuck in the desert, camped out in the same place. The desert was a temporary place as God was bringing them through it. To, God's trying to take us from our past to our future. Well, we continue to work out so God can work in. Let me share this with you also. You have to be careful that even once you're saved that you don't pick up stuff that you shouldn't pick up. Rid yourself of these things and the sin. Right? So I could be, how many of you know, especially like with addicts, they could be free. They could be set free. And if they're not careful, they'll easily pick back up the habit and they're back in the same addiction. They were free. They were coming out the desert, but their mentality, mind hasn't changed. And they've started thinking back, oh, remember those days? And they find themselves back. Again, not in, the, not in Egypt, but stuck in the desert. Chains had came off, but they picked up things that hindered them again. <clears throat> now, let's look at Numbers, 11, Numbers 9 of 18 through 23. And through, as we've gone through all this, I don't know if you've, I want to thank my daughter Megan, who made our signs in the back of the church there that says these four stages of growth, these are four stages through the desert, the, from Egypt to the promised land, is number one is connect with God, connect, connect with God and his family. You become saved. 
And you may ask, well, why his family? Well, if you're a, you become a child of God, his other children are your family. So I connect with God, and I, I need to connect with his family. And we'll explain that a little bit more after a while. But then it says to grow. Step two is growth. That I need to grow in the character of Christ. That's in my desert time. I'm trying to grow. And listen, it never stops. You never, don't stop growing. You never reach a point that you could stop growing. Paul even said that, not that he has reached it yet, because there's still us. As long as this fleshly body's here, we still got some growth to do. And then it says serve. The, The third thing is serve which is serve in the house of God, serving God's church. Another serving, helping. Serving is like ministry. That's all minister, minister, ministry is. You think of someone that's sick, you minister to them, you're helping them up. So as you belong to the family and you grow, you begin to help others in the body, which, which is where we're going to see it later on. It says that you're encouraging one another and, and helping them through things. And the last thing we, we on that thing is that you share his message. You got the greatest message in the world. Right? And I know this is overused, but people say if you found the cure to cancer and you would decide not to share it, what would people think of you? What if tonight when you turn on the news, whatever channel you you have, they'd come up Breaking news, Dr. So-and-so had found the cure to all cancers back in 1994, but he never shared it. What an outrage people would have. But you have the cure to eternity. The message that brings people to eternity, but yet we keep our mouth shut. And we don't see how much of a disservice we are. That doctor could have saved people for this life. But you have the power of God and the gospel in you to share with others that will take them into eternity. That they could live with the Lord forever. I think we need to take our thing a little more serious. Sharing his message. Let's get going here. So moving with God, the, the transition to the desert. Notice what it says in Numbers uh, 9, 18 through 23. At the Lord's command, the Israelites set out. And this is where God moved w- with them through a cloud through the day and a pillow of fire through the night. God, even again, even when they were in the desert, it's God that was bringing them through the desert, right? He, he told them this is where you need to go. But God wasn't absent from them. He, he had a pillar and a cloud that, to help guide them and, and cover them, keep them warm, keep them cool. He says, at the Lord's commands, the Israel set out. And at, the, at his command, the Lord's command, was that next word? They. I, I got, did I keep it on the line on your paper? I, I wanted to, okay. We're going to talk about this after a while. The they. The whole nation moved as a group. When God set them free from Egypt, he didn't say scatter however you want. Because he knew that would mean death and destruction in their life. He says you need to stay and belong. and That's part of our, our first note, but let's get going here. 
as, notice it says, as long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. When the cloud remained over the tabernacle for a long time, and he begins telling us about that, that sometimes God has you in a situation, and he's working things in you. It may only last a day. It may last a year. It may last a month. But God's working something in you. God's always trying to work something out of us and something in us. But we have to be ready to move with God when God is moving, that we don't let what we're going through keep us stuck where we're at. And this could be a good situation or a bad situation. Horrible things could happen in your life, and you get stuck in that moment and never move forward again. You experience the death of a close loved one, and if you're not careful, it could destroy you and have you stuck in that desert, and you never walk into the freedom and joy and happiness that the Lord has for you. See, when we're in Egypt, when we come out of Egypt, we have all the nasty stuff this world has. But the promised land represents where the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, all these things are going to be flowing in your life. Not that you're free from any attack from the enemy, but I can walk in peace, I can walk in joy, I can walk in love. Not, not forgetting what happened, but that I could still live and not be stuck in the desert. What verse am I on? Let's go to verse 19. When the cloud remained over the tabernacle a long time, the Israelites obeyed the Lord's orders and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was over the tabernacle only a few days. At the Lord's command, they would encamp. They'd stop. They'd work it out. It says, and then at his command, they would set out. Sometimes the cloud could stay over uh, only from evening till morning. It's a short time. And when it lifted in the morning, they set out again. Whether by day or by night, whenever the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether the cloud stayed over the tabernacle for two days or a month or a year, the Israelites would remain in camp and not set out. But when it was lifted, they would set out. At the Lord's command, they encamped, and at the Lord's command, they set out. They, obtained, uh, they obeyed the Lord's order in accordance with his command through Moses. So when they were going, this was in the desert. There's things they would go through. God would have them there for a while, but when God moved, God said, okay, it's time to move on from this. They got up and moved. Now, let's look at these next steps and we, we're talking about from here. <coughs> For sake of time, we need to get going. <coughs> next steps, learning how to move forward. Number one is I have to move with the body. I have to move with the community. I have to move with the other believers. Okay, so that uh, I just wrote body, the body of Christ, his church. I need to, I need to stay plugged in. Because when, when a person becomes born again, what, what did Jesus say? You're born again. You're an infant. Spiritually born again. How many of you know that when a child is born into this world, if he's left alone, what's going to happen? Death. He's never, he was born, but he'll never grow. He'll, he'll, he won't survive. He's going to die right there in the desert. An infant. Now, 
as we grow and get a little older, and, and again, back to how God says many things, the journey of when we have children, he says to train up a child in the way that he should go, then when he is what? Old, he will not depart. Do you notice it goes from child to old? But there's the desert in between that they learn, that they go through. So thinking about a teenager, you know, when they're 15, I remember when I was 15, I knew everything. <laughs> Why are you laughing, Mom? <laughs> right? How many 15-year-olds think they know everything? They think, oh, I can make it on my own. I could do all this. I, I'm ready. But how many of you know they still need guidance? They still need the structure of family. So what, what happens is the, the infant needs it. As it gets a little older, we think we're ready. We think we, listen, we believe the lie of the enemy that thinks we could separate ourselves from the body. We got this, God. Now I'm going to show you a scripture in a, in a minute about this desert that's going to prove you wrong if you don't agree with me. And not agree with me, agree with God's word. Even when we're old, when Adam was in the garden, God said, it's not good for man to be alone. Now, I'm not just talking husband and wife things, but it's about having fellowship with other believers because those other believers have a purpose. That's where we, we're going to get into serve here. Watch, watch what it says. So we, I need to move with the body. Again, when God delivered them out of Egypt, they were free and how many of you know God did not say, okay, y'all take off? I'm going to send you the GPS coordinates of where you're supposed to get. If you want to leave one at a time, two at a time, go ahead. No, God said the only way you're going to make it is as a body. When we looked at when God moved and the things, it, it always says they as a body move. Now, watch what it says here now. Hebrews uh, 10.24 <coughs> says this. And let us consider how we may spur one another on. See, that's part of serving. That you can cheer one another on. But guess what? If I don't have another believer around me to cheer me on, to help me, to push me, or if they're not around where I could help and push them, I'm missing it. Notice he goes on to say that we could spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And he says, let us not give up meeting together. And when you start thinking about the transition, there was at least two million of them in that group that transitioned across the desert. Let us not give up meeting together. When, when the Holy Spirit fell, where did it fall? On individuals all over the place? It fell in their upper room where the believers were gathered together. Did they have other believers in the world besides the 120 in the upper room? Well, yeah, they sure did. Do you ever read where it had fell on them? No, it only fell on the body that was gathered together there. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And that's what reminded me of the teenage thing. Well, <laughs> I don't need this no more. I got it. I, I don't need the support. I don't need all this. I don't need to hear everybody's problems. And I'd go to church if people didn't have all these problems. 
Think about if there's two million people. I bet you're going to have a problem with one or two of them. Right? But God didn't say, stay together if everybody's nice and... You see, if we're not careful, we decide when we will obey God and when we won't. Yeah, God, I would obey you, but I'm going to use Sister Hazel as my example, but she's so sweet. So she, she can't hit me too hard after service. If I, if I <laughs> oh, God, I would serve you and do all these things, but that Sister Hazel just, oh, she just gets on my nerves. And if it wasn't for her, I would listen to you. If it wasn't for her, and this ain't true, Sister Hazel, you know that, okay. <laughs> if, if it wasn't for her, I would come to church more often. If it wasn't for her, I would do all these things. And guess what happens? She became in control of my life instead of God. She, instead of obeying the command of the Lord, I began letting her dictate how my life goes instead of God. That's some good stuff there. All right, thank you. He says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us do what? Encourage one another. I can't encourage one another if there is no one another. And he says this, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage each other. And then he goes on to say, and all the more. He says it's even more important as you see the day approaching. As the further we go on in time, it's even more and more important because more and more people are getting deceived. Now, <coughs> well, they, they must be changing the time up there on me because there's no way we only got three minutes left. Deuteronomy 25, 17, again, moving with the body. Notice what happens in the desert. It says this, Deuteronomy 25, 17, Remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came up out of Egypt. While they were in the desert, watch this. When you were what? Weary and worn out. They met you on your journey. When you were weary and and worn out. What are we here to do? To help encourage and cheer each other on. But notice what happens. When you were weary uh, and wore out, they met you on your journey and they attacked all who were what? Lagging behind. Those who were cut off from the body, who had let the body move without them, who were lagging behind, the enemy came and attacked. And then it says, uh, they had no fear of God. And what it's talking about is the Amalekites. They didn't care if you were the nation of God. Listen, the devil knows you're a child of God. That doesn't keep him from attacking you. It says your enemy, the devil, roams around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We talked about this last week, I believe, or it might have been the Wednesday night. But one of the way a lion... Uh, thing attacks is he comes in and he tries to separate someone from the flock. And once they isolate that, that thing, then the pride attacks him. Who they attacked? The stragglers. Those that became weary, hung back. Oh, we'll catch up with y'all later. Y'all go on. 
Go on, wives. We we serving God. Yeah, the enemy don't care. And he's there to attack you. They attacked and destroyed those who were, did not move with the body when the body moved. Those stragglers. That's why we need to be connected to the house of God and, and um, with the Lord. Okay, quickly. We need to keep moving. Keep moving to fulfill God's promise to you. How many of you know the promised land was a land of promise where God says, I will take you. It was theirs to claim. It was theirs to walk in. Did God fail them? No, they just failed. God, God wanted to take them there and says, uh, it, go in and inherit the land I've given you. But they said, oh, no, oh, oh, oh. there's giants in that land. Well, we serve a God, don't we serve a God who could do more than we can ask or imagine? Immeasurably more? Keep moving to fulfill God's promise that he has for you. You know, sometimes in the desert, we'll get to a place that we uh, go through that trial. And we say, well, this is it. This is about as far as I could do. This is about as much as I could go. I don't guess it was meant to be. When they sent the spies into land, God said, go take it. And they, oh, well, I don't know. It's a big army up there. And I don't guess it was meant to be for us to go there. We're just going to give up. Whose plans are you listening to? Yours or God's? You see, they never got out of the desert because they believed what they saw. They believed what they wanted to believe instead of believing God. In other words, they believe the lie of the enemy. Now, notice what Jeremiah 29, 11 says. We use this scripture quite often. He says, God saying, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. That's what God has planned for you. And, and this is not talking about a life of prosperity, yachts, and those things. It's walking in freedom of the Lord, that you could get out the desert and begin to walk into the promised land. Watch again here in 2 Corinthians 10, 12 through 13. Never, never stop. He says, we do not dare classify or compare ourselves with some who uh, commend themselves. And Paul's talking about false teachers and things here, but it's important that we catch this part. When they measure themselves by themselves or compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. We, however, do not boast beyond our proper limits. But we confine our boasting to the field God has assigned to us, and that field uh, includes, reaches even you. And so that verse 13 tells us that you don't put the limits on the field where you could go. God told them to go to the promised land. That was in his boundaries for their life. It's them that set the boundary right at the beginning of the promised land and said, we can't go through there. Now, the, the part before this, what I just want to touch on is they compare themselves to themselves and it's unwise. 
I don't want to hear people. I, I don't like hearing people saying, I wish I was more like so-and-so. Oh, I seen that. I wish I was more like them. But if God wanted you to be them, he would have made another them. You hear me? I, I think it's Tommy Birchfield that had made this statement or, or thing, but he says, don't, don't die a copy. God made you an original. Don't die a copy. God made you an original. You see, we are all parts of the body, and we all have different functions. If God made you to, to fulfill that destiny, now, okay, because here's the other part. If where people give up and say, oh, this is all I can do for God because of fear in their life and all these things. And listen, when I was growing up, I, I could not stand being in front of people. Nervous as can be, and again, I, I told that story many times. I would not go to, to the drive-up window at the bank near the one. I'd go to the very end. I'd have my friend check out and pay for the groceries because I was too nervous to talk to the thing. And what if I was to say, well, God, I cannot preach your message. I cannot deliver your message because I am scared to speak in front of people. And if you didn't make me scared to speak in front of people, then I would have. You ever heard somebody say stuff like that? Oh, God, that's how God made me. No, God didn't make you a broken piece of junk. The devil done that. The devil deforms us. God transforms us. But we got to get out of that desert to walk into his promises. You see, what, why didn't I believe that? Because the, his word tells me God did not give me a spirit of fear or timidity. So how can I say, God, you made me scared? You know what the fear was? Something I picked up in life. God never intended that for me. And the first time I spoke to the youth, as a, for, I had to cancel because I got physically sick. I was so nervous. But I never gave up. I don't know why. <laughs> I was a nervous wreck. But we can't say God made us that way. He didn't give you a spirit of fear. If you have it, a spirit of fear, that's something you picked up along the way. Because he tells us in his word, God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of sound mind. So who are you going to believe? The word of God? Don't use... And don't stay in the desert because you're too scared to move forward. You know, when I was camped in that desert, I, had, I drove my tent stakes for that night. And one of them was fear. And God says, I'm getting ready to move. I need you to proclaim my message. And I was like, oh, no, I got my tent stake of fear here. I'm just going to stay in this desert. And it was my choice. I could fulfill and go into his promised land or I could stay stuck in the desert. And I, I know I'm going a little long, but I remember I had given my heart to the Lord already, still playing secular music with some friends in a garage, not playing music, making noise for the neighbors. <laughs> And one day I went, and in the middle of just playing, I heard a voice, as audible as could be, but it was inside of me. And he says, choose today whom you're going to serve. I believe beyond the shadow of a doubt, it was God saying you could stay in the desert or you can move forward. 
Choose this day whom you're going to serve. Am I going to believe the fear and all this and stay in the past or I'm ready to move to the promised land, the fulfillment of the promise that God has for me? Number three, refuse to stay behind. Refuse to stay behind. And that's what we're talking about, pulling up those old camp stakes. I want to ask you a question. How do we come out of Egypt? How do we come to be saved? How do we come out of Egypt in the beginning? It's to believe and confess. That if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you shall be saved, set free. It starts with believing God, trusting God, and confessing what God says. There's many people that need to change their confession in life. Would they speak? Kemp Holden gave an excellent message at the mission conference uh, this year in April. And he tied into what you speak is the only thing that, God, that Jesus could proclaim to their father. Where he says, what you confess on earth, if you confess me on earth, I confess that to the Father. I, he's the mediator between me and God. And whatever, he can't confess anything, my mouth's not confessing. So if my mouth's always confessing defeat, destruction, Christ has nothing else to do. He can't say, oh Father, I believe and confess victory, although they're confessing doubt. I confess victory, and they're confessing defeat. I confess health and healing, but they're confessing sickness and disease. Refuse to stay behind, and how you do that is changing your confession. Uh, when we done the study of Acts on Wednesday night, it brought me back to this part here, where Paul was arrested for spreading the, the gospel. And no, notice what it says here <clears throat> in Acts 23, verse 11. The following night, Paul thought it was over. Paul thought he had reached where he was going to go. That's it. I'm arrested. I, I'm never going to be able to do what God called me to do. But it says, the Lord stood near Paul and said, I love this, these two words, take courage. Take courage, he says, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify me about me in Rome. So he gave him the role. Although you're in prison right now, arrested, you're also going to be, I need you to testify. And God had already brought that word to him, but he was reminding him, why are you saying, why are you thinking it's ending here, Paul? And this is so weird. The enemies of Paul, who were trying to stop Paul from spreading the gospel, were the actual ones that took him to Rome. The enemy wanted to use them to kill Paul, but God used them to take him to Rome. A few weeks later in uh, Acts chapter 27, they're starting to send him. Again, notice it says this. He's on a ship headed toward Rome, and, and a storm comes up again. And this is what he said, because he remembers his promise from God. He says, and, and again, the Lord spoke to him that. He, said, he tells all the people on the ship. He says, so keep up your courage, men, 
For I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me, that they would be survived. He says, nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. And that's what I love what it's saying there. You know what? We may have a couple of crashes along the way. It may not go the way we think that we plan, but God promised me. God said, I will preach in Rome. And, he, <laughs> and he's using the very people who's trying to stop him to bring him there. It blows my mind. With the enemy uses to harm you, God can turn it into good. Right? Don't, don't. Listen, the harder the enemy fights, the bigger the blessing is. Proverbs 18.21 The tongue has the power of what? Life and death. In our confession, what we speak. And those who love it will eat its fruit. You eat what you speak. Have you ever been around a depressed person? And it's almost you hate to see them come because you could hear the beeping, beep, beep, beep. It's backing up their dump truck to dump all the garbage on you in their life. But that's all they ever speak. Let me tell you how miserable my life is. Let me tell you why it'll never work. Let me tell you why I'll never walk out of this. Let me tell you how... That's what they're confessing. They haven't confessed victory. So Jesus is standing before the Father. Father, they're confessing defeat. We are to walk by... Faith and not sight. Next verse says this. Although the tongue is a small part, uh, likewise the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what great forest is set on fire by a small spark. That next step is confessing the word of God. And, and I'm not, don't get this wrong, I'm not saying this name it and claim it to prosperity. Can I tell you something? Name it and claim it all about your prosperity. You know what you're doing? You're just making it about you again. It's name it and claim it, name it and claim the promises of God over your life. Name it and claim that I'm going to walk and be closer to God, that as we, the offering things, that I'm not going to worry about the things of this world. I'm going to be worried about the things of the kingdom of God. Blessed is he who seeks righteousness, not the thing. So learn to confess. Move with the body. Don't give up. Don't get stuck in the desert. The promised land still has its battles of its own, okay? But you're walking in freedom. You're, you're breaking, untying the anchors that are holding you back from going there. Don't spend your whole life in the desert. Go to the promised land.
Allow God. Your boundaries are in the promised land, not in the desert. God didn't create you to be somebody else. And what I want to close with this, Matthew, if you put our proclamation up there, we'll stand right now to our feet as we, we uh, repeat this this morning. It's in your bulletin. I want you to repeat this every morning. Put it up there. Uh, it's our proclamation. Amen. He, he's going to find it. Don't worry. <laughs> We're speaking it into existence. It will be there. At the very beginning of my notes. My confession. When I say this, Jesus tells this to God. You hear me? When I confess here on earth, he confesses before the Father. Take your right hand and raise it up right now. Both hands. This is where both hands say, Today, I will be the person God created me to be. In Christ, I am a victor and not a victim. I am more than a conqueror. And I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That needs to be your confession. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. Father, we just come to you right now. Lord, and I just pray that our confessions would change in this world, Father. That we would, our eyes would be open, Father God, and we'd no longer be stuck in the desert. That we'd take the next step, Father God, and keep walking to be changed from glory to glory to glory, Father God. That we'd become the men and women that God created us to be. Not trying to be like anyone else, Father God, but to be uh, in the image of your Son and fulfill the purpose that you created each and every one of us for. No matter what it takes to lay down our fear, our, our hang-ups, our hurts, Father God, that we be free from those things, that our boundaries be moved from the desert into the promised land, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone says, amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you.